The following sermon is by Dr. Chuck Register, Interim Pastor of Emanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Please visit us at 2100 Noble Road in Raleigh or on the web at ebcraleigh.com. Take your Bible in hand and come with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, in a moment we're going to be uh, begin our study with three verses of Scripture. We're going to look at several passages of Scripture today, so you'll need your copy of God's Word close at hand. But we're going to begin with Ephesians chapter 4. We're continuing our series looking at the office of pastor. Last week, we concluded our examination of the biblical qualifications of a pastor. Today, we're looking at the pastor as preacher. The biblical role defined in Scripture as the pastor is preacher. Next Sunday morning, we're going to examine the role of the pastor as shepherd. And then on September the 15th, when we gather after homecoming, we're going to look at the pastor as leader. Now, I'll invite you to stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word. Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to begin reading verse 7 this morning. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 7. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Verse 11. He gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ. Father, would you help us today? to examine this concept of the pastor as preacher. Would you, Father, help us to see in your word the primacy of Scripture and how the central aspect of every minister's ministry must be the teaching, the explanation, the communication of biblical principles. And so, Father, help us to embrace this concept today of the pastor as preacher. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. As you're being seated this morning, we're going to examine um, three angles, if you will, three ways of viewing this concept of the pastor as preacher. We're going to look in a moment at the divine task, that preaching is a divine task. Secondly, we're going to look at the divine qualifications. We need to see again and be reminded of the divine qualifications of the pastor preacher. And then finally, the divine imperative. And hopefully, after we've walked through several passages of Scripture under these particular headings, we'll have a good comprehensive understanding of the role of the pastor as preacher. And let's look first of all at the divine task of the pastor preacher. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gifts. Now, ladies and gentlemen, to understand verse 7 and following, we need to be reminded that in Scripture, in the New Testament, there are three different types of grace that God pours out among His people. First of all, there is saving grace. Saving grace is that grace that comes into our lives, that convicts us of our sin, that leads us to repentance, that leads us to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that brings salvation into our heart and an eternal home in heaven into our future, saving grace. 
Paul speaks of saving grace earlier in the book of Ephesians. Look with me on the screen, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8. The next slide, please. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. God gives us this grace, this grace that convinces us that we have broken and violated the teachings of Scripture. This grace that convicts us that we stand guilty before the Lord. This grace that illumines our mind and heart that the Lord Jesus, when he died on Calvary's cross, died there as payment, not simply for the sin of the world, but for my sin, my transgressions, my violating of biblical principles and godly instruction. And if I will ask Jesus to forgive me of my sin, it is this grace in Ephesians chapter 2, this saving grace that washes me clean of my sin and puts me in into an intimate relationship with the God who created me through faith in his son Jesus. That is saving grace. And some of you may be here this morning, and the grace you need in your life today is saving grace. Before we even examine the other two types of grace the Bible speaks of, what you need today is saving grace. You need to acknowledge the Lord Jesus Christ died on Calvary's cross for your sins. You need to ask Jesus to forgive you of your sin, to come into your life, to be your Lord and your master and your king. You need to surrender your life to the Lordship of Christ. You need to experience today saving grace. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm just here to share with you this morning that saving grace only comes through the Lord Jesus Christ. Saving grace, eternal life in heaven, abundant life on earth, intimacy with the Father does not come through morality. It does not come through charitable acts of service. It only comes when we place our faith and trust in Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Perhaps this morning, some of you, that, that is where you are today. In this service, you need to put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, saving grace. There's a second kind of grace taught in Scripture. It's what I call um, sufficient grace, if you will, or sustaining grace, if you will. It's the grace that comes into our lives when we face challenges that, that we're too weak to handle on our own. Look with me from 2 Corinthians. And he said to me, you see, he is capitalized as Jesus. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. What's Paul saying to the church at Corinth? What is Jesus communicating to the apostle Paul in this passage? Ladies and gentlemen, sometimes we need sustaining grace in our lives. Sometimes we face challenges that are so strong, mountains that are so high, we simply can't climb them on our own power and in our own efforts. The challenge that we face is so life-consuming that we need God's grace to help us meet the challenge of the day. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. You're facing a health challenge right now or a financial crisis right now or, or a relationship crisis in your life. And, and you've done everything you know to do to solve that problem, to fix those finances, to take care of that relationship. But no matter what you try to solve your problem, the problem, the problem is there to greet you every morning when your eyes open to begin the day. 
And in the midst of that challenge, in the midst of that problem, in the midst of that mountain, you need sustaining grace. In your weakness, you need the strength of the Lord Jesus Christ. Sustaining grace. There's a third type of grace that Paul teaches in the New Testament. It's called serving grace. Serving grace. And what Paul teaches is that the Lord, when we become followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus himself places within each believer one or more spiritual gifts for us to use in serving the Lord. You see, if you're here today and you've already experienced saving grace and you know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, you were not saved to simply come and sit and worship and sing and pray and give and study and then go home to your household until the next Sunday arrives on the calendar. You were saved to serve the Lord each and every day, each and every moment, and He's given you spiritual gifts to use in serving Him. Look how Paul says it. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. And then he begins to list certain spiritual gifts that God gives for us to use in serving the Lord, prophecy and service. And he goes on in the passage to speak of teaching and exhortation and giving and leadership and mercy. So we come to Ephesians chapter 4, and Paul holistically has been teaching about grace. He, he speaks of Ephesians chapter 2, saving grace that we all need in order to come to faith in Christ. 2 Corinthians, he speaks of sustaining grace, grace that we need in life when we face those mountains and those challenges we cannot handle on our own. He speaks of serving grace in Romans chapter 12, the grace God gives us through grace gifts to use in serving the Lord. But when he comes to Ephesians chapter 4, ladies and gentlemen, he's talking about a completely different type of grace gift. He's talking about the gift of individuals to the church. He's talking about the gift of men to the church in order to equip the church to do her ministry in a community. Let me show you these grace gifts. Come back with me, if you will. Let's start chapter, uh, chapter 4, verse 7, and then we'll go quickly to verse 11. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gifts. Saving grace, sustaining grace, serving grace. But when we come to verse 11, when we come to verse 11, the scripture begins to focus on individuals, begins to focus on people. It begins to focus on men that God gives to the church as a gift of grace. Look at these men. And he gave, the word gave means to give a gift. And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers. Literally in the language of the first century, it reads shepherd teachers. As a matter of fact, this is the only time in scripture that the word shepherd referring to the office of pastor is translated in the English pastor in this verse of scripture. And there's no and to connect pastor and teachers. It simply reads pastor teachers. So here's what Paul is saying. Paul is saying that the Lord Jesus Christ gives grace to individuals, saving grace, sustaining grace, serving grace. And then to the body of Christ, to the bride of Christ, to the body of Christ known as the church, the Lord gives grace gifts of individuals to lead them. 
He gives prophets. He gives evangelists. And he gives pastor teachers. Here's what I'm saying, ladies and gentlemen. I'm saying to you that your pastors are gifts of grace from God himself. Your next senior pastor who comes, we don't know his name. We don't know what he looks like. We don't know anything about him at this point. But what we do know, when he arrives, he's going to be a gift of grace. God is giving the Emmanuel family. I want you to hear me clearly, however. This concept that a pastor is a gift of grace from God is not just reserved to the office of senior pastor. This applies to worship pastors. Jamie has been God's gift of grace to us. You've been here how many years, brother? Nine years. Nine years, week after week, month after month, we have been blessed by the grace gift we call Jamie. The Lord smiling upon the Emmanuel family. The Lord blessing the Emmanuel family with a gift of grace known as Jamie. This same concept applies to Mark. Mark is a gift of grace from God to us. God looked down upon this congregation knowing our needs, knowing exactly what we need to lead us from the pulpit and from worship ministry and youth and children's ministry. And he has given these men as gifts of grace to us. Now, don't you wish from time to time you might have treated them just a little better? I'm not insinuating that you don't treat them well. I'm just saying after nine years, I bet there might have been one time that you look back and say, if I just remembered he was a gift of grace from God, I might have responded a little differently. That's what these men are. Gifts of grace from the Father. Now, why does God give us gifts of grace known as pastor teachers? We'll come back to the text. The Bible tells us. Look with me, verse 11. And he gave some, he gave some gifts, apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastor teachers. Why did he do that? Verse 12. For the equipping of the saints. God has given these grace gifts, these men, to be our spiritual leaders. He's going to give us a new senior pastor in the days ahead. He will be a grace gift to be a spiritual leader for us. And he did that for the equipping of the saints. Now, we're not Catholic. If we were in the Catholic Church, there would be a certain group of people who have been recognized by the Catholic Church as saints. When we Baptists look at the New Testament, we understand in the teaching of the New Testament that saints are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. They're not people who have reached a, a special, miraculous pinnacle of hierarchy within the church. Saints are people who have simply received the saving grace of Jesus and submitted their life to the Lord Jesus. That means if you're here this morning and you know Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are a saint. Men, turn to your wife and say, I've been telling you that for years, honey. <laughs> you're a saint. Biblically, you're a saint. So why does God give us these gifts of grace, these ministers to minister in our midst? For the equipping of us, the saints. For the preparing, for the training, for the equipping. You say equipping for what? Training for what? We're going to see that in a moment. I just want you to see right now that God gives us these men as grace gifts in our life to train us, to equip us. 
Here's what I also want you to see. That phrase in first century medical terminology means to set a broken bone. Here's the implication. When the saints aren't equipped, there's a bone that's broken in the life of the church. When the saints aren't trained, there is pain in the body of Christ. The body of Christ doesn't function properly. It doesn't function in a healthy way. When the saints have not been equipped, when they have not been trained, then there's something foul in the body of Christ as painful as a broken arm or a broken leg. So why, does, why do the pastors train and equip the saints? Come back and look at the verse. For the equipping of the saints, what's the phrase, church? For the work of service. For the work of service. Here's what Paul is saying. Paul is saying that the Lord Jesus Christ gives pastor teachers to the church so that the pastor teacher can equip and train the saints of the church for the ministry of the church. Now, I want you to hear me clearly. When you get ready to call your next senior pastor, you are not calling him to do your ministry. You're not calling him to visit on your behalf. You're not calling him to teach on your behalf. You're not calling him to roll up his sleeves and do the ministry that you are responsible before the Father to do. You are calling him to train you, to equip you, to do the ministry that God has called you to do. And what happens when the pastor equips and trains the saints to do the ministry that God has called them to do? Come back and look at verse 12. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ. That phrase, the building up of the body of Christ, it is the imagery of building a house. And Charlene and I live in a subdivision that's still under construction. They're building houses everywhere we look. And when you build a house, there, there are certain steps. You, you, you clear and grate the lot, and then you dig the footers, and you pour the footers, and, and then you lay the foundation, and then someone comes and, and puts the sticks, the framing up, and, and then there are the rafters that go in place. And eventually there's the plywood and the drying in and the siding. Houses are built in phases. That's the imagery here. Paul is saying, look, God gives pastor teachers to the church to train and equip the saints, the followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, to be engaged in ministry. And when that takes place, the body of Christ is built just like you build a, church, a house or a home or a church building. The same imagery, pouring the foundation, putting up the frame wall, putting on the roof, drying it in, every step along the way that is used to build a building or to build a home. Paul says when the, when the church is trained and equipped by the pastor to do the work that God has called the individual members to engage in, the ministry he's called them to do, it's like watching a beautiful home be built from the ground up. Now we see a picture of this, ladies and gentlemen. We're, we're going to come back to uh, the later parts of the uh, New Testament this morning. But right now, come with me to Acts chapter 6. Let me just show you a beautiful picture of this very principle. Acts chapter 6. 
you're a student of the New Testament, you might recognize instinctively that Acts chapter 6, the beginning of that chapter, is where the office of deacon comes into existence. I want us to look at Acts chapter 6, beginning with verse 3. Here's a beautiful picture of Ephesians 4. Verse 3, Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Spirit and wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. And here's what the apostles say. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. Acts chapter 6, the church is growing. It's growing leaps and bounds. There are widows who are being neglected. The church calls attention to the apostles that certain widows are being neglected. And so the apostles do not say, you know, what we need to do, we need to personally start serving these widows. That's not what the apostles say. The apostles say what we need to do is to find some followers of Jesus that can be trained and equipped to perform this ministry so that we can devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the Word. That's exactly the picture that Paul is painting for us in Ephesians chapter 4. It is the divine task of the pastor preacher to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. If your pastor, when he arrives, if he begins to show any signs that he's going to do all the ministry himself, you rebuke him because that's not his job. It's not his ministry. His ministry is to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. That is his divine Task. Now, quickly, let's remind ourselves of the divine qualifications um, for a pastor, and we're going to see those. 1 Timothy chapter 3, come with me. We spent two weeks studying this pastor's scripture, so we're just going to touch on it this morning. 1 Timothy chapter 3, just want to remind you, beginning with verse 1. It is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do, an overseer then. Uh, overseer then. And, and we begin to see all of these qualifications listed. And you'll remember the last two weeks, we saw that all of the qualifications that are listed deal with character except one action of ministry. Verse 2, an overseer then must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, and there it is, ladies and gentlemen, able to teach. This idea of taking the Word of God and equipping the people of God to do the ministry of God is so important that when Paul is speaking to Timothy about the qualifications for a pastor, he just inserts it right there. He, he doesn't say he needs to be a man who does counseling well. He doesn't say he needs to be a man who does administration action well. He doesn't say he needs to be a man who does ministry visits well. He says he needs to be a man who teaches well. This divine task, the qualification for the man to fulfill this divine task, he must be able to teach well. Well, that's not the only place we see this in Scripture. Come with me, if you will, to Titus chapter 1. Just keep turning right over in your New Testament, Titus chapter 1. Titus chapter 1, Paul is writing. He begins to give another list of the qualifications of pastors. Pastors. 
Verse 5, For this reason I left you in Crete, that you may set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you, namely... If any man is above reproach, the husband of one wife, having children who believe, not accused of dissipation or rebellion, for the overseer must be above reproach as God's steward, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious, not fond of sordid gain. You, you see Paul is saying again, character, 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 character. Verse 8, but hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, just, devout, self-controlled. Verse 9, holding fast the faithful word which is in accordance with the teaching. Here it comes. So that he will be able both to exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. Again, Paul, giving a list of the divine qualifications of a pastor, only mentions one ministry action. He has to be able to preach and teach the word, communicate sound doctrine, hold at bay those who teach false doctrine. Ladies and gentlemen, for the office of pastor, the teaching and communication of God's word is critical. Not just for the man who stands behind this pulpit. It is critical for Jamie's ministry as a worship pastor. He may use the tool of music to communicate biblical principle, but at the heart of his ministry must be the communication of biblical principles. The same is true for Mark. He may use various activities and tools that reach teenagers and children, but the very heart of his ministry must be the communication of God's holy word. That is the responsibility of the pastor-teacher. Now, the question is, why is that so critical? Come back to the, to the text. We're going to see one final point this morning, and that is the divine imperative for the pastor preacher. 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. I want you to see this divine imperative. Verse 1. Paul says to Timothy, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. Verse 2 begins a list of eight imperatives, eight commands, if you will. Paul is saying to Timothy, if you're going to be the pastor that I need you to be, you've got to do eight things. These are not suggestions. These are commands that I give you, Timothy. Eight commands. The very first command, verse 2, preach the word. Now let's look at all eight right quick. Number one, preach the word. And be ready in season and out of season. Number two, reprove. Number three, rebuke. Number four, exhort. All of those in the language of the first century are written as commands. These are not optional for Timothy's ministry. These are not optional for the pastor teacher. These are commands from Scripture. With great patience and instruction, verse 3, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires, verse 4, and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. But you, here comes command number 5, be sober in all things. Number 6, endure hardship. Number 7, do the work of an evangelist. Number 8, fulfill your ministry. Now, here's what Paul is saying to Timothy. Timothy is saying, I command you, Timothy, to fulfill your ministry. 
But you can't even begin to fulfill your ministry unless first you preach the word. That's where he started. That's where he started in giving those eight commands. Timothy, I want you to fulfill your ministry. I want you to complete your ministry. I want your ministry to be whole as God intends. But in order for you to fulfill your ministry, you first of all must start with this concept of preaching the word. Oh, pastor, search team. Go find us a man not with extreme administrative skill, not with a wonderful personality, not with grand education, not with a handsome appearance. Go find us a man who can preach the holy word of God. That is his task. Because when he preaches the word, he equips the saints for the work of the ministry and the body of Christ is built up. One last point I want you to see this morning. Why is it so critical that your next pastor be a man who preaches the word? Not poems, not stories, not cartoons. They may be used to illuminate the Bible, but the heart of the man who comes to be your next senior pastor must be a man who first and foremost teaches the principles of God's holy word. Why is that critical? We look at one last passage of scripture. Look back with me, if you will. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. Here's why it's critical your pastor be a man who preaches and teaches God's Word. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correcting, for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Is that not where we started? In Ephesians chapter 4, the preacher equips the saints for the work of ministry. Paul comes right back to that same concept in verse 17, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. He wants all of us to be equipped for the work of ministry. But did you see what we discover about the Bible in verse 16? That is why it's so critical that the preacher be a man who preaches God's holy word unapologetically. Look at verse 16. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching. That means that the word of God teaches us what we should believe. But not only is it profitable for teaching, but it's profitable for reproof. The word reproof means that you rebuke someone when they go astray in their belief. When they begin to believe false doctrine, false interpretation, you rebuke them, you, you reprove, you chastise, you correct. And so the Bible teaches us what to believe, and the Bible teaches us what not to believe. Look what else the Bible does. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable teaching for reproof, for correction, Correction means what not to do. We who are parents, we understand correction. Our child does something and, and we have to correct their behavior because we want to teach them what not to do. So the Bible teaches us what to believe, what not to believe. It teaches us how not to live. But finally, look what the Bible does. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training, in righteousness. 
The Bible teaches us how not to live, but thank goodness it teaches us how to live. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, that's why it is so critical that the pastor be a man who immerses himself in the Word, who communicates that to you each and every Sunday and Wednesday, helping you to be equipped so that you can do the work of ministry, so that you can know what to believe, what not to believe, how not to live, and how to live. The pastor is preacher. It is his most critical role in Scripture. But I take us back to where we began our study this morning. Saving grace. That grace that comes into our lives when we recognize our sinfulness and the death of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross for our sins. And I just wonder this morning if there's someone here who needs saving grace. You need today to ask Jesus to forgive you of your sinfulness. You need to ask Jesus to come into your life and you need to submit your life to the Lordship of Christ so that you can have life everlasting in heaven. Yes, so that you can have abundant life on this earth. Absolutely. So you can have an intimate relationship with the God who created you. Yes, indeed. Saving grace. Every head bowed, every eye closed for just a moment. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're here this morning and you would say to me, Chuck, I, I'm not saved. I, I don't know Christ as my Lord and Savior. I've never submitted my life to Jesus. I need saving grace today. With no one looking, would you just lift your hand right where you are? I need saving grace today. Teenager, a husband, a mom. Anyone? I need saving grace today. My sins forgiven. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Anyone else? I want each of you to know this morning saving grace can be yours. All you have to do is say, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Come into my life and take control. I give my life to you. And with that heartfelt commitment, the grace of God comes rushing into your life. And sins are forgiven. And life everlasting is yours. And intimacy with the Father begins. This morning, if you need saving grace, I'm going to ask you to have the courage to come and just share with me in a moment as we stand and sing, Chuck, today, I want to give my life to Jesus today. I want saving grace. Would you come? I'll pray with you and help you verbalize a prayer to the Father for saving grace. Maybe your church membership is somewhere else and God is leading you to be a part of this church family. I invite you to come in a moment as we stand and sing and just plant your life and the life of your family members here at Emmanuel. Maybe you just want to bow your head where you'll be standing in a moment and say, Lord, just guide our pastor search team. Lead them to a man who will stand unapologetically and preach your word Sunday after Sunday, equipping us for the ministry you've called us to perform. 
Father, I pray you would take control of this time of invitation that as you lead, your children would respond. And Father, that will bring glory to your name. I pray that in Jesus' name, amen. As we stand together, as we sing together, you come this morning, saving grace, you come this morning. You've been listening to Dr. Chuck Register, Interim Pastor of Emanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. For more information and free access to other messages, visit us on the web at ebcraleigh.com.